If you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. 1 John uh, chapter 4. Uh, we've arrived at chapter 4. It's only taken us eight weeks, but we've made it through three chapters of the Bible. Congratulations, everybody. Um, we, are, we are week eight, and, and we're going strong. I love walking through verses of the Bible, uh, and we, we do that because as we walk through the verses, we, we don't hide from the verses, and what we really get to see are these themes uh, begin developing because I think having a, a healthy scope when we read the Bible will help us walk uh, primarily in the light that John has been telling us in this letter to be walking in. As he says, God is light and we walk in uh, his light. And I think it's important that we would remember the intention of his letter uh, because as uh, much as this may come as a shock to you, uh, I found this out recently, the world does not revolve around you uh, or myself. I know, like what? Uh, and so, so when John is writing, he, he does not necessarily have Merge Community Church in mind. Uh, I don't think really any of the writers of uh, any book that we find in the Bible, I don't think they sat down and said, hey, I'm going to pen a letter that will stand the test of time, uh, that will still be discussed 2,000 years ago. I mean, how that kind of pressure, right? If you were like, okay, I'm going to write something today that they're going to read over 2,000 years from now and they will butcher it, but we'll read it nonetheless. Um, that kind of weight would, I think we would just crumble underneath it. And yet John, as he writes, he might not have us in mind because he's writing to a very specific church in a very specific place at a very specific time. But yet we find ourselves in these pages very easily. Uh, as he talks to them, uh, we find how similar we are to these people. And, and we're revealed in these words in powerful ways. And, and I'm not talking like I, I read a horoscope and if I squint my eyes, I can fit my life right into the horoscope. Therefore, in three days, I will be a millionaire because that's what the horoscope said. Right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking like uh, in such a way that you walk around and you say, who's following my life? Uh, and how are they so aware of what's going on in my own heart? Uh, that's what we find uh, when we find ourselves really in any book of the Bible, specifically for us this morning uh, in, in John chapter 4. And, and John's great desire, uh, re, I think, was revealed last week as he came in uh, in verse 23 in chapter 3. And he says, and this is the commandment, this is God's commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and we would love one another just as He commanded us. Uh, this is what we get to experience. Anytime we walk with John, uh, he's consistent in all of his words that uh, he writes in the Bible. So again, he writes First John, Second John, Third John, he writes Revelations, and he writes the Gospel of John. Uh, but all of his words, his intentions are always the same. He wants us to be able to take the gaze of our lives and to place it on Jesus. He would say, you would spend less time worrying about yourself. You would look more at Jesus because the connection is the more we can see Jesus clearly, the more our hearts for worship grow. Uh, the more our desire uh, to walk in the light of the gospel becomes. And, and so he does this very consistently. And, and what he does is he creates this argument that says the more you see Jesus, the more your love for other people will be and that you can't separate the, the spiritual pursuit and your relational ones. Uh, I can't say I love uh, God, but I 
don't love other people. And, and so he displays some contrasts and some challenges uh, to see if our genuine love for God uh, is, is in play. And so the entire letter, uh, we've said this a couple of times, and I keep repeating it in hopes that we would remember it. Uh, he, the, the whole letter can be broken down to three thoughts. And it would be that, that John says, I want you to know Jesus, I want you to obey God, and I want you to love others. If you can do those three things, we'll be in the same ship going in the same direction. Uh, and, and I think when we hear those things, know Jesus, obey God, love others, I think anytime there's a struggle in that, it would fall in the second one, right? Uh, that, that obey God thing. Uh, because typically when we think of obedience, we think of it in the negative context. Uh, we say, well, I don't want to obey because obedience keeps me from freedom. Uh, I don't want to clean my room because I would rather sit on my couch and eat ice cream. Uh, right? That's, at least that's what I tell Misty all the time. Um, and so, so as we walk through that, we have to understand when God calls us to obey, it's never to keep us from freedom. And it's never to keep us from joy. In fact, through that obedience, what he says in the Bible is that everything outside of the obedience of me leads you to sin and death. That though that may seem like fun for a season, ultimately it will sabotage your life. And so what we find is that as God is light, and then secondly, as God is love, as we walk in his way, that's where we find the healthiest, that's where we find uh, the most purposeful. That's where we find the most joy-filled. That's where we find the most peaceful way of doing life. And, and so to combat some of this, John, a few weeks ago, he says, I, I want you to be aware of the pool of worldliness. I want you to at least just for a moment acknowledge that there is a pool inside you to go in a direction that isn't of God. And then he says the reason why there's this pull is because there are influences. And he names them very specifically. He says that there, are, there is the spirit of the Antichrist and then there is Antichrist. Uh, and so, so the intentions of those voices are to draw you outside the fold of God. And it's to lead you to a place of, again, your, your own destruction. And, and so this morning, he's going to come back kind of to this thought and he's, he's going to tell us to consider the love that God has shown us in the cross. And he's going to say, but I want you to also be very aware of the voices that are influencing your life. And, and so more specifically, he's going to tell us uh, to use a phrase, test the spirits. Uh, and we'll, we'll kind of unpack what that means. But, uh, and what he'll say is just because there's a voice or there's a person who claims to be from God, that there are some very specific indicators of who they are, uh, of really if they are genuine or if they're not. And, and this is where John has always been leading us, is that they're, either they are from God or they are of the devil. One of those two things. There's really no gray area in this context. And so this is typically, I'll be honest with you, uh, when I was reading um, ahead and preparing and stuff, I was like, well, this, this is not a um, barn burner of a of a set of verses. Uh, but this is why we walk through the verses of the Bible together in, in order, uh, because this is a vital part of some of the deficiencies we have in our own spiritual life. Uh, and so even though I would honestly try to ignore and not teach these verses, they're equally as important for us to be walking through this morning. And so let's pray, and then we'll get in. Uh, we'll go six verses today. 
Father, we come to you. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to, to, to walk right into 1 John chapter 4 this morning. And we, we get to celebrate the fact that you give us your word to light our paths. So we pray this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would, you would teach us about the voices we have in our, in our lives. That we would be very mindful of what is of you and what isn't. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so there, there, is, uh, there is a dangerous gospel, I should say, that is being preached in our time uh, that can do a lot of damage if we allow it to shape how we think and how we feel towards God. Uh, and, and it's a gospel that, that says that uh, not only can you get Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior, but you should also expect what's behind door number two. And, and what's behind door number two is, is like a health and a wealth and a good looks and sweet dance moves, you know, uh, that if you just trust Jesus, you'll be able to break dance in no time at all. And, and, and it's basically treating the good news of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus as if we were in some sort of showcase showdown. Uh, and then you have to decide which one of those you would rather have. And... Uh, and, and in our day, uh, we, we typically call this the prosperity gospel. Uh, and I don't know if you have much knowledge of that, but that's typically what, what we call that. It sells Jesus by enticing you with secondary and lesser rewards. Uh, and, and what happens when and if door number two doesn't pay out, uh, as expected, the, the people selling you the bill of goods, they'll come in and they'll say, it's really your fault that it didn't work out. Uh, they, they'll say, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe God enough. That, that, that if you would have given God more, then He would have moved more in your life. If you uh, would believe harder, then God would be quicker to cater to your needs. If you would work harder, then God promises to make you more comfortable. And, and it's a dangerous, it really is. It's a dangerous and it's a deadly gospel because what it does is it uses Gospel verbiage, uh, but it leads you to a wasteland where your heart is still trapped in sin. That's, that's ultimately where it ends up, but we don't realize it. And I'll tell you where we see this most at play. Televangelists are notorious uh, for selling Jesus. Uh, they are. And, and judging on how many church channels we have, uh, it seems to be a pretty profitable business. And, uh, and the prosperity gospel is not the only false one floating out there. There's uh, there, there's a works gospel that says what you need uh, in order for God to, to walk in His favor is you need Jesus, plus you need all this extra work. Uh, or, or what we call the love gospel. Uh, and it says, that, you know, if you'll just be a, a kind person to people, uh, then eventually God will just love you and overlook your sin. Um, because, you know, good is good enough. Uh, or there's uh, the universalist gospel that says, well, I mean, if a loving God uh, really, truly loves us, then eventually there's no way he sends people to hell. Uh, and uh, so eventually we all just end up in heaven at some point or another. And, uh, and it's dangerous and it's deadly. And those are just to name a few. And, and we really shouldn't be surprised by them. The Bible tells us don't be surprised uh, by these things, though we should be concerned about how many of our close friends drift towards gospels like this. 
Uh, in fact, Paul will tell us about the time that he lived in, uh, and I think we still live in the same kind of time. In 2 Timothy, he's writing to uh, his young protege, a guy named Timothy. That's why it's called Timothy. Uh, and, and he says this about the time that they lived. This is chapter 4 of it. He says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. They will just wander off into myths. I think it's a powerful and impactful indictment of our day and age. In fact, I I fear the church is more consumer-driven than really it has ever been. Now, I only live in this pocket of time. Uh, But but that that tends to be my belief. And I think... um, the result is a theology of the church that falls in danger of this warning that Paul gives us in Second Timothy, and in fact, in devastating ways. And, and I think calling out and identifying false teachers is neither fun nor popular, but it, however, it is both biblical and important. Uh, and so, so what John is going to make clear in these verses is something very specific, uh, and, and words similar to what he told us in chapter 2, Uh, verses 18 through 27, he's going to draw this contrast between true prophets and false prophets. True teachers, false teachers. True Christ, uh, Antichrist. The Spirit of God that um, is of God and the Spirit that is of the world. And what we're going to be reminded of is how uh, some of our greatest dangers aren't from without, but they're from within, uh, inside the church. And so what we're not going to do, though, okay, and I know some of you are like, Boy, I hope we'll get into this, but I'm not going to. Uh, What we're not going to do is spend time me giving you ten top pastors that I think are false prophets. Uh, Because that it it wouldn't work, uh, wouldn't be beneficial. Uh, It would just be an old man ranting. And so uh, we're not going to do that. But what we will do, which will be greatly more beneficial, is we're going to come into these words, and we're going to hear John tell you and me something very specific about how we evaluate the voices we allow to have in our lives, especially when it comes to walking in light of the gospel. Uh, and so, so what he's going to do is he's going to give us four questions, and that's how we're framing this in our talk notes. He's going to give us four questions to ask about these voices. So the first question he's going to ask is simply this, are you following false prophets? Are you following false prophets? He starts chapter 4 saying this, Beloved, Okay, so we stop there. We acknowledge that John's not being confrontational. He's being very, being very loving with us. Beloved, people who are loved by God, do not believe every spirit. It's important to hear. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so, let me just tell you... That, the strange relationship I have with this verse. Um, as a guy who gets to teach, okay, it sounds weird me saying, hey, you need to be careful about the voices, but somehow I'm safe. Don't worry about this. And what we find in the Bible is John's telling you, when you listen to the words that come out of my mouth, you test the spirits. You come to the Bible and you say, is what this guy is saying, does it line up with the Scripture or not? And if it doesn't, you need to find another place. Okay? That's, that's what's being said here. So, so if you think I'm coming here, I'm like, hey, these other people, 
you need to listen and you need to test those spirits. No, I'm saying anyone who is speaking on behalf of the gospel, on behalf of God, you need to test these spirits. And so, um, so John's going to give us some considerations that are going to help differentiate between uh, what is true and what is false. And, uh, and so, so I, what, what I find is when you're on the, the false side, what happens is a guy like me will stand up in a crowd like this and they will say, you can trust me, I'm a safe voice. And you listen long enough and eventually the message changes to I am the only safe voice. Uh, and that's when you typically know you've wandered into a pretty dangerous place. And, uh, and so this is why John tells us to test the spirits, uh, which sounds very mystical, right? Uh, it sounds like, ooh, test the spirits. Um, uh, but, but that's not what he's saying. That to test the spirits carries with it this idea of putting something to rigorous examination to discover if it's genuine or not. Uh, that you would look at it and then, so if that's the case, if we're called to test the spirits, then the onus is not left to the elders of the church, even though they have a responsibility. Our church is elder-led. They have a responsibility that whoever is teaching on behalf of the church, that they fall under in biblical preaching. Uh, and if not, then they are commanded by the word to bring correction to the church in that. Um, but I, w- I want you to be very clear about this. John's not talking to elders, he's talking to the church. And so he's saying the onus is on you to do the examinating. Uh, you to walk in uh, and, and says, it says we all have this responsibility if we're found in Christ to be uh, really doctrine detectives, uh, to be theological investigators. Now, how do you do that first and foremost? Well, you, you have to read. You have to get in the Word. You have to spend time in the Word. You have to listen to the Holy Spirit as He teaches you when you're in the Word. And so, so our goal is to determine if these prophets are from God or if, they, or if their origin is to be found in another source, in, in a different kind of spirit. And John's point is very straightforward. He says that, that behind every prophet, behind every teacher, behind every proclamation, there's an energizing spirit. And, and so, so their message will inform us as to the origin and the source of their message. Because he says, they're not all from God. So you watch, you listen, and you test. And so just because they're on TV or on the radio or they showed up on your Facebook feed, uh, doesn't mean that they're from God. Now, they may sound like they're from God. They may be in a place that claims to be of God, but they're not of God. There, there should be inside all of us this, this healthy dose of spiritual skepticism. Uh, and some of you who are skeptics by design are like, yes, I'm, I'm saying a healthy dose, okay? Healthy dose. Uh, somebody's like, well, my pastor just said I can just be a jerk to everybody because I'm skeptical. Um, not what I'm saying. But what we are saying, not all things are from God. And granted, all things are by the allowance of God, but they're not necessarily uh, a, a total God thing. You ever, you ever said that in your life? Uh, it's just a total God thing. And there are times that it ends up being a total God thing, but at the time, usually when we say that, we don't know. We don't know. Like, I've sat with enough people that are like, oh, total God thing. This, I got fired and I got this new job and... It's a total God thing, and at the time it does seem like a total God thing, but sometimes that ends to be a very bad thing at the end of it. And so I always love just saying, maybe. <laughs> like, I thought you were on God's side. Absolutely. 
but not all things are total God things. There's a tendency in most people to credit any unusual phenomenon to God. And I think, I think such a lack of discernment opens the door for some false thoughts uh, and some false teaching, and it provides an opportunity uh, for, for demonic activity even inside the church. Uh, here's what you need to remember, that, that spiritual or religious activity is not necessarily uh, godly activity. And so we watch and we wait and we look and we listen and everybody's like, man, this is really intense this morning, but it's important. It's important that, that false prophets, they're deceptive in their message and they have uh, their own great commission having been sent out into the world. And this is why we're, we're warned frequently to be on guard throughout the New Testament. Uh, that, that the main battleground of true and false teachers is found in our next question. Number two, uh, John will say, are you confessing the true Jesus? Are you confessing the true Jesus? Verses two and three. By this you know the Spirit of God. Okay? So, so that's the question, right? Are the voices of my life, are they of God or are they of the devil? And he says, by this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus uh, that can that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So, so uh, the issue that we have with these verses, Leslie Newbigen, um, and I probably just pronounce his name incorrectly, but you've never heard of this guy, so let's assume I did it perfectly. Um, he wrote a book called The Gospel in a Pluralistic, uh, Pluralistic Society. And he says this, he says, the gospel is news of what has happened. And the problem of communicating it in our society is that uh, it simply disappears into undifferentiated ocean of, of information. It represents one opinion among millions of others, and, and it cannot be the truth, since in a plural, pluralistic society, uh, truth is not one, but it's many. It may be true for you, but it cannot be true for everyone. And so to claim it is true for everyone is simply arrogance in the society's eyes. It's permitted as one opinion among many. And this is, this is the day that we live in. This is the day that we live in, which is the day, by the way, Paul warned Timothy about that we're going to try to find our own ways. We're going to try to find our own sets of reasoning. And so, so once again, John makes it plain that Christianity is rooted and it's grounded in a Christological question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And so, so if, if he is just another enlightened religious teacher, if he's permitted and tolerated as one opinion, uh, as one option among many, um, or... Is he really the incarnation of God? And if he is the incarnation, if he is God's Son sent in the flesh to rescue us, then the gospel is the only gospel. He is the only way. And this is just these are words that he's told us. He goes, he goes, listen, I haven't come to be the prom king. Okay? I haven't come to, to pursue popularity. I've come to divide. I've come to show you where truth is found and where it's not. I'm come to show you where life is found and where death exists. And so as he comes in, he says, we test the spirits. And, and so testing the spirits of verse 1 is greatly aided by asking the Jesus question of verses 2 and 3. Who is Jesus? Because verse 2 puts the issue 
in this positive light. Verse 3 puts it in a negative light. Uh, and so, so what confession bears witness to the presence in the Spirit of God? And John says the only accurate confession is that Jesus has come in the flesh and is from God. So that's, that's, the only, that's the only way to be able to understand Jesus. And this confession, it's not wishful thinking and it's not passively said. It's, it's felt in our bones and in our souls and we're committed to it. To the point of death. To the point of death. And so, so Jesus tells us the Spirit has been sent. In fact, John chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus says, uh, it says that the Spirit will bring attention to me in all ways. In all ways. So if the Holy Spirit is leading you away from Jesus, then that's not the Holy Spirit. So in fact, he says it this way, that, that the Spirit will glorify me because He will take from me what is mine. He will declare it to you. And so, so if there is no glorifying of Jesus as God incarnate, then there's no Spirit of God present. There isn't. And so verse 3 is the antithesis of, of verse 2. Um, it says, Those who deny the truth of Jesus in the flesh... They're from God, not they're, they're not of God. I'm sorry, let me read again because I'm learning. Uh, those who deny the truth of Jesus in the flesh is from God, that they are, number one, they're not of God, and number two, they are of the Antichrist. And so when it comes to what people believe about Jesus, the early church was just as plagued as our churches are today. It said that there, there were people who desired to soften or to water down who Jesus was and, and what Jesus wanted to present him to be. And so what they do is they, they do something that's very subtle. They say he's not the way to God, he is a way. That, that all roads eventually lead to God. And that's not what Jesus has said at all. We spend time in the Gospels, we see him very clearly say those things. And so, so either, here's the way it needs to be said, I guess, that that either Jesus is at the center of our theology or we don't have a gospel-centered theology. Uh, and so, so all of this radiates from Him. That We're going to come back to this question in a little bit, um, but, but I want you to start pondering this question uh, as I ramble on a bit longer. Are you confessing the true Jesus? Are you? Do you join with the apostles in Matthew 16 when they look at Him and they say, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of of the living God. Okay? So, so number three. Let's get to this third question. Uh, John will say, are you trusting in the greater spirit? Are you trusting in the greater spirit? Verse four. Little children. Again, he's not making fun of you for being small. He's just saying you're, you're younger. Little children, you are from God. And you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And you want to talk about something we're celebrating this morning. Verse four is it. Like we, we could just read that, we could live in that, we could stop right there, and we would have plenty of food to chew on uh, for the next couple months. He says, greater than he who is in you, than he who is in the world. That we are brought into this glorious truth that the opposition of Satan, the world system that, that daily assaults us, the false teachers that seek to seduce us, the faulty worldviews that attempt to confuse us, our own sinful desires that yearns to enslave us, is all divinely ordained to fail. They can't. No matter how strong those forces are, the Bible says they can't, they can't beat you. 
Now, they can't beat you if you don't allow them to beat you. But if you give them permission to take it on, they'll devour you. They will devour you. And in your own strength, and we are in dangerous ground. But that's not what verse 4 is telling us, right? Because the glorious truth of verse 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world, that we have a champion and a victor and a source of power, and all these enemies of hell can't overcome them. They can't. In fact, Dr. Daniel Aiken says it this way, how do we obtain this victory, right? That's a great question. If I'm victorious, how do I become victorious? I can't just declare bankruptcy and be bankrupt, right? I have to actually do the process. So how do I... Uh, that was an office joke, in case you didn't get it. And nobody laughed at it, so I'm assuming we can't be friends from this point forward. Um, but he says, how do we obtain this victory? And he says, the Holy Spirit is in you, and He is greater. He is great than uh, He... And He who is great than He is in the world. Is the world strong? Yes. But our God is infinitely stronger. Are false prophets wise? Yes. But our God is infinitely wiser. Is Satan great? Yes, but our God is infinitely greater. And this one who is infinitely stronger, wiser, and greater now and forever is in you. Yes, is in you. By a true and a faithful confession of Jesus the Messiah, I declare that I am God's. In response, God gives Himself to me through His Spirit and He takes up residence in in me, and in each and every one who sincerely calls Jesus Lord, amazingly, the God who can live anywhere desires to live inside of you and me. I now move forward in a life of loving, sacrificial service, just as my suffering servant Savior did. I can live confidently, blessed with supernaturally, given the assurance that I am His and that I fight a battle in which the victory is mine for the taking. Question number four. Are you listening to the right teachers? Are you listening to the right teachers? Verse five says, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Uh, whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And so, so John's been very honest with us about distinctions. He really has. And it's, again, when he draws the line, and, and, and perhaps we have a hard time understanding his motivation because he's motivated by love. He's not just some guy who is speaking out of anger or hatred. He's coming very mercifully to us and saying, hey, there's bleach and then there's lemonade. Don't drink the bleach because it kills you. Drink the lemonade because it's delicious. Okay? That's, that's what he's doing. And we say, oh, I want to drink the bleach. And he's like, it's going to kill you. you. You would not drink bleach. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you should talk to some adults. Right? So, so he says there's, there's no middle ground. And he says, those who are of the devil's domain speak out of that worldview with, the spirits, with that spirit's inspiration. And so, so they speak satanic ser- sermons that sound very godly. And, uh, and they deliver demonic discourses that sound very godly and it's dangerous. And, and so, so here's side caveat. Uh, we, we should never be surprised when the lost think like lost people. 
and when they live like lost people. You shouldn't. I think that's, that's one thing we, we don't understand in the church, that we see somebody who is trapped in sin, and we're like, well, that's dumb. I'm like, no, that's, that's their only path. That's their only path that they have available to them at this point. And so, so, we, so this is true even for those who have once claimed to believe in Jesus but have fallen away. And, and the Bible will say that they were never truly believers to begin with because you don't fall away from that. Um, those enslaved to the world cannot help but listen to those who speak their own language. And so we start listening to some of those voices. And what do we say? Well, I want to be comfortable. I don't have to worry about bills. I, I want to have nice things. I want to go do these other things. And all of a sudden, there's a voice that speaks. And it's dangerous and it's deadly. And it says, God really wants you to be rich. And God really wants you to be comfortable. And God really wants you. And the problem is, read the Bible. God doesn't really, isn't as concerned about your comfort as you are. We say this this way. God's more concerned about your holiness So we have to be careful about those voices. Verse 6 is a helpful explanation for the difference of the gospel. Those who know God through confessing Jesus as Lord and Savior listen to Him, um, and they listen to those who were of Him. In John 8, chapter 8, verses 47, Jesus says, The one who is from God listens to God's words. And I think it's helpful, because what it does is it removes... Any theology that says Jesus plus. Any theology that says the Bible plus. Because you don't have to add that stuff. That, 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 there's this old song that we used to sing a long time ago. This is, this is how old I'm getting. I'm like, this is way a long time ago, like in year 2008. Um, you know, back when televisions were barely color. And uh, and I always struggled with it because it the line was uh, you're more than enough. Any any phrase of Jesus being more than enough, and I always struggle with that because I'm like enough is such a small word, you know. Like like how is it fitting to look at Jesus and say eh, it's enough? And this is what we find in the gospel that that not not that Jesus is enough, but Jesus is everything. He's everything. And so, so to look and to say, hey, what you really need in your life is Jesus plus this expectation that you have that God would give you anything else but Jesus is just false. And it's sinful and it's deadly. Because Jesus is everything. Everything. That if you had Christ today, okay, and you had nothing for the rest of your life, it would still be more than enough. Well, Now, the problem is we... We struggle with that, right? Because we feel this tension of two different worlds that we want to live in. That I want Jesus to be my everything, but I also want all these other things to be within my reach. And this is what the Bible consistently, guys, tells us about. All those other things are lesser gods. They are. They're smaller idols. Popularity. Fame, all these things get wrapped into it. Comfort. Tony Meridia, and we're, we're about to wrap this up, I promise. Thank you. <laughs> hey, 
out of the mouth of babes. Right? False prophets. Tony Maria says this. Uh, we can start. Hey, I think I think we're going to start wrapping up quicker than normal. Um, says false prophets and those who listen to their teachings. They hang around the truth for a while, but they don't stay. They wander away. Again and again, their error comes back to what they think and believe about Jesus. The Bible says He is God, but they wander away and they deny His eternal deity. The Bible says that He is sinless, but they wander away and they say He sinned or at least committed some sort of error. The Bible says that He did miracles, but they wander away and they say uh, that they are myths and fables. The Bible says uh, that He is Savior and that He is the only Savior, but they wander away saying He is only a Savior. The Bible says He died on the cross for our sins, but they wander away and they deny His substitution. They call it cosmic and they call it child abuse. The Bible says He rose bodily from the dead, but they, the world, wanders away and they say that His disciples imagined that He did those things. The Bible says He ascended into heaven and as Lord, but they wander away and they say He's just another myth. The Bible says He's coming again, but they wander away and they say it's pop Christian fiction. And finally, the Bible says He will judge and they will, He will judge us all. And they wander away and they say God is love and eventually all will be saved. And in the end, they say love wins. And it does. But not in the way that they say. So we, we come back and John pleads with us in these verses. And I, I'm, I'm embarrassed to have told you that eh, these verses I would have on Tuesday, I'd have just said, ah, let's skip those and let's go to seven. Because seven gets really good. Really good. But we come to these six verses and John pleads with us because this is deadly and it's a dangerous place to live. Because there's a battle raging for the hearts and the minds and the souls of men and women. And the seriousness of this is found in these six verses. Which is why these questions are important to ask. And so we've asked... Are you following false teachers? Are you trusting in the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to the right voices? But none of those things are as important as question number two. I told you we're going to get back to it, right? That's why I rambled so long. Are you confessing the true Jesus? So now, as you feel like some toes are starting to be crept up on, are you confessing the true Jesus? Do you come to Him and do you say, Jesus, You are my everything? And I think that can be easier said than done, right? Because so many of us have been blessed with so many great things in our lives. We've been blessed with kids. They are a blessing. I'm just letting you know. Maybe not all the time, but they are. Blesses you with family, friends, home, running water. When was the last time you're like, oh man, this is nice? Yeah, you went without it, right? Yeah, you're well stocked. Yeah. Just jump down in the. It's not hard. It's called. It's called effort. So, so we come back. Are you confessing the true Jesus? Do you have a belief in you that, that is, is yeah, I, 
I have Jesus, but I also believe He owes me these other things? Am I holding God accountable to my expectations? And if that's true, then you don't, you don't, know, Je- you don't know the true Jesus of the Bible, at least. Now, the Jesus of the Bible does say, I've come that you may have life and life to the fullest. And I think right there, our interpretation of that is very telling of our hearts. Because we say that, and we say, well, clearly my life to the fullest is a lot of toys. And clearly it's all these other things. It's not. That promise of life to the fullest is a life of peace, of joy, and of purpose. And that purpose doesn't revolve around you, it revolves around Him. Always. So here's, here's where I'd like us to land this morning. I'd like you to ask yourself that question. Am I trusting the true Jesus? And if not, if not, let me tell you about the true Jesus. That He loves you. That He came, sent from God, lived a sinless life, and He died a death that you deserved, and He lived a life that we get to walk in. And it says that by our confession with our mouth and the belief in our hearts that we can walk in relationship with Him. And He's our great restorer. He, he, he restores what was broken between us and God. And that through the confession of that, now the confession is the easy part. It's the pursuit of following Him. That's the harder part. That through our confession and through our faith, our lives are changed forever. So if you've never, you've never done that, we want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning to that. Maybe you have done that, but, but your heart's very far from Him right now. Not that He's very far, your heart's very far. And you say, I, I, I want to re-up that. <laughs> we want to give you that opportunity to. As we pray and as we sing out this morning, there will be some people over here. We want to pray with you. We want to walk with you. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you tell us very clearly to be mindful and be guarded against the voices that, that we allow to have influence in our lives. And I pray that you would walk with us. Or, Father, I pray that we would walk with you into pastures where we can be fed. That where we can be protected. But Father, that we could also walk in health with you. Father, we pray for this time. Pray that you would draw some of us even closer. For some, you would grab hold of our hearts and you would you would give us a squeeze to know that our hearts have not been of you, have been yours. Father, what I pray the most is that you would help us have eyes to see how Jesus is our everything. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.